Welcome to the Eight Facets of Life podcast with Chris Conley and Debbie Ellis. On this podcast, we will examine the components that make up our lives and discuss how we can make improvements. God wants us to perform at our best in all aspects of life, but why don't we? We will talk about this and much more in an effort to discover our very best us in every part of our lives. This podcast is brought to you by Darren Olson with Edward Jones in Bell Fountain. Hello. Today, the facet we'll be speaking on is fun. Just recently, I was thinking, Chris, that a flyer came through on Nothing But Cakes. Those are really good, by the way. Um, And it caught my eye with the big lettering across the front, and it said, put the joy back and enjoy. And so that made me think of your facet Mm -hmm. on fun or slash joy. So I guess a question to lead off would be, what brought you to this category, adding that to the eight facets, and then... What do you do for fun and what excites you or brings you joy? Initially in my planner, this was labeled other. So I started just thinking about everything that I do in my life. And for me, I'm a golfer. Where does that fit? And it didn't really, it might fit under health because you're getting some fitness. But I thought about other people's lives and, you know, hobbies and things along that line, things that we enjoy. So I thought there had to be a category for that. And I didn't know what to come up with other than I just thought fun. And then recently I've been thinking, Aside from fun, we've also got the happiness factor. And I think that's that's a part in there we'll, we'll talk about more, but we'll start off with this idea of the hobbies and things we enjoy like that. I know during this time of, it's really a surreal time that we're, we are all going through. And Romans 12, 12 comes to mind, be joyful in hope. So even though we look around at what is happening in the world, things that we never expected, We still need to find hope and joy. So this topic, regardless um, if you're an optimist, if you're a pessimist, where you are in that whole spectrum, we always have to have joy and hope because the Lord wants that for us. That's one of our spiritual gifts from from God. I was looking at a book because our grandchildren are home from school, and there's one by National Geographic, and it's for kids, and it's 100 things to do before you grow up. And they mentioned that from the moment you're born, there are 6,570 days before you're legally considered an adult. And so I was looking at some of the things they mentioned that you can kind of seize the day, seize the opportunity, do fun things. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm an adult and I still would like to do these things. Mm -hmm. So I was going to share a few of those. One was do something nice for someone, but don't tell them you did it like that Mm -hmm. one. Learn a joke and how to tell it. It is a rush to make someone laugh. And I think that's true. I think laughter bonds people. This is really weird. But I remember a joke when I taught elementary children. It's kind of gross, but it's a real quick one. It was like, what's the difference between broccoli and a booger? What do you think? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Some kids won't eat broccoli. (laughs) It's it's gross, gross. but but it makes you laugh. (laughs) Yeah. And then another thing they listed, and I like to do this, it says rake leaves into a big pile and then jump in them. And personally, I like to make snow angels. I don't know about you. And then they had other things like try eating another country's cuisine, write a letter to make a difference, prepare a picnic and find a perfect place to enjoy it, reconnect with old friends, interview your grandparents. So those were about nine of the 100. But I thought, oh my gosh, those are good for adults to have fun as well as children. And the key is, you know, we've heard the saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. And I think that goes along with this this category we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. when I say I golf, I've had other people turn their nose up to, oh, I can never do that. 
someone else likes bowling or tennis or, and they don't have to just be sports, you know, it could be reading books, it could be getting out, taking a walk, but there's things that excite us and it makes us rewired and and more rejuvenated when we do go back to the task of life. Absolutely. Fun might seem selfish if you're a parent, like making time for yourself, it neglects your family. And that's where, for myself, I can recall, I tried to expose my children to golf at an early age. And I realized kids' attention span is not that of an adult. So we had to limit it to maybe we just go play six holes or something like that. And even then, I had to throw in like, hey, if you behave, we're going to stop by the trolley on the way home and get some ice cream, you know, something like that. Sounds good. I didn't force any kind of sport on my boys. I just tried to expose them to it. And uh, if they if they chose to do it, you know, it'd be something we did as a family. So then you don't feel guilty because your family's with you when right. you do that. Mm-hmm. Yourself, I know you're a runner and you play tennis. Is there anything else? Oh, I like to try new things, uh-huh. just like doing this with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and at first I thought, oh, gosh, but I, I have in my mindset that if someone or an opportunity comes before you, Think about it in a year. Will you regret that you did not take that opportunity? Yeah. I will give you an example. It was probably about five years ago, an acquaintance, she wasn't even a close friend, asked me about walking the Camino in Spain. And I thought, oh, I can't leave my family. She was going for six weeks. I mean, I guess I thought I was so important. I can't leave my family for six weeks. Mm. But she left. I was watching her blog. and I thought, what the heck? I'm going to join her. She started it over on, in France in the Pyrenees, went over the mountains. So two weeks, I think, before I was supposed to go, I booked a ticket, met her in Tricastela in Spain, and walked the last two weeks of the... It's, it's kind of like a pilgrimage. Yeah, I've heard of that. Right. It's, yeah. it's the most amazing experience. You meet people from all over the world, yeah. all the other pilgrims, and uh, you end up in Santiago and you go to Mass. Hmm. It's just a fantastic experience. I took nothing with me. I tried to do it as much like a pilgrim would have done years ago. Um, I had my devotions, my Bible. I had 13 pounds on my backpack. Uh I didn't take a device. And it was the most amazing experience. But if I would have thought about it logically, I never would have gone. But then I thought, if I don't go, I'm going to regret this. Right. So that's just kind of an example. You just have to grab the opportunities. I, I, I know I've heard that Today is not a dress rehearsal. Right. This is the day that the Lord gave us. This is the day we need to embrace and we need to live it mm-hmm. and have fun, just like you said. And, you know, when I've heard that uh, older people, people in their 80s, 90s have been interviewed, typically the things that they regretted were things just like you talked about, you know, the opportunities that were missed or whatnot. Nobody ever is sad about the time they spent didn't spend at the office. You know, it's, right. it's the things that are closest to us. So that's a great story. Well, even taking it locally in the newspaper, they will highlight, you know, seniors of the month in high school. I bet the most common answer to, you know, what do you regret is I wish I would have been more active as a freshman or a sophomore repeatedly. So no matter what the age, I think if you have that hindsight, you look at what should I have done? What could I have done? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one thing that we don't want to have regrets. True. And if we do, because so many times it's a window of opportunity, you know, and sometimes another door opens, but the the one that we had the chance, that door is now shut. So we have to learn from those kind of mistakes and, and do better from then on. You've probably read the book. It's that short book, The Dash yeah. by Linda Ellis and right. Mac Anderson. 
And it's talking about making a difference with your life from the beginning to the end. And I guess the question that pops out at the end is, so when your eulogy is read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things that they say about you and how you spent your dash? Right. I think kind of close to that's what I said. But it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yep. I've heard of people as maybe morbid as this sounds, no matter what your stage of life is, go ahead and write your eulogy to write it from a perspective of what do you want people to think about the person you were. And then as you read it, am I living a kind of life that would give evidence to that? So right, that's right. a neat exercise, I think. I know there was a poem, I think it was Anxious About Nothing. And it was written by Max Lucado. Hmm. And at the end of it, it said something to the effect like, may I laugh, listen, learn, and love. And tomorrow, if it comes, may I do so again. Yeah. When we were talking about the hobby part, before we move on to the other part of happiness, which we've kind of started, the hobbies that I mentioned were kind of sports related, but I just wanted to mention that things like gardening, playing a guitar, anything come to your mind that people do to just, like I say, break away? A couple years ago, I participated. There's a local program that the Logan County Art Association does, and it's called, I think it's called Bad Art by good people. And when they invited me to participate, I thought, oh, whoa, I am not an artist by any means. But it was a great experience. I'm glad I did it. My picture, it's kind of like a montage about time. Time flies and Mm -hmm. using Tempest Fugit as the example. Connected me with Ann Hess, who is a local artist. And I learned a lot from her. I didn't learn just how to put together the painting or how to put together the collage. You learn other things as well. And it was such a great experience. I'm still not a good artist, but I never, ever would have done that if it weren't for the program. So that's an example of finding fun. And and really, after that, I took some more lessons. And someday when I have time, I'll get back to it. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that we can distract ourselves from the day-to-day activities. And like I say, in classes that I've taught on these subjects, this is typically one that people would rate as least important, but it's because of the grave importance on the other seven. So it's not to say that it's not important because we know this makes us better in every other facet of our life. It's just to say that this one's an easy one to put on the back burner. I know I've talked to men before that they enjoy something like golf or whatever, but because their family's young, There's no time for it. So we've only got our kids for maybe 18 years. Our responsibilities, maybe like that season we were talking another time, for this season, I don't really, I can't do the things I want, but that opportunity is going to come later, you know, that I've got the time to enjoy some of these activities. Right. So if we delve a little deeper, Chris, I think what you're alluding to is just a person's kind of composite makeup. Mm -hmm. We talk about the glass half fill, half empty. Is that what you were going to go into, like a deeper type of fun or joy? Sure. I I think some people just seem to be wired for happiness where others are at the other end of the spectrum. I remember reading, it said, happiness is based on happenings where joy is much deeper. Happiness is like an experience. Mm -hmm. You can be happy one moment and sad the next. Where joy, Paul talks about being content when he was in prison. We know kids can be happy with boxes at Christmas time. Yet we shower them with gifts, you know, maybe we didn't have. I was thinking the first person that pops into my mind is my father, Harold Marker. He is such an optimist. I mean, Mm. I know he was born that way. He grew up with on a farm. They had no money. And he 
just looks at the funny things that they went through as as a family. And it, it delights me because whenever he spots a penny yeah. or a coin on the crowd, he always, he's so quick. He's 92 and he can pick them up quicker than I can. Mm-hmm. He's so agile. And he will pick it up if it isn't already Heads up, he gives it a little kick so that Lincoln's profile is showing. Okay. Then he picks it up with, with joy, right. and he thinks that he snatched up good good luck. In mm-hmm. his, and he always has done that, and I just appreciate that. I, I always say, my father and Pollyanna share the same positive, <laughs> joyful view of life. And, and you really, regardless of what's happened, you can't take that away from it. Right, right. And, and you know, it's been proven that our outlook on life has a big factor on, on our health even. Sure. Because um, people will recover quicker from illnesses when they when they have a positive mindset. You know, we can make ourselves sick just by listening to negative news, being around negative people, things along that line. Right. A great book that I read years ago was called The Happiness Advantage, and it was by Sean Aker. And he goes through several examples. If you like to read about how people are kind of guinea pigs for tests yes. and then the outcomes from that. This is a great book, and it's all about basically that happiness is the precursor to success, not the other way around. A lot of people think, especially in the business world, that if we make our sales targets or we make all these sales, we're going to be happy. You know, then we can rejoice. But the truth of the matter is, if we're happy, we're going to be more apt to achieve those targets because if we take the other mindset, there's always going to be a new tougher target to hit. Right. So we're always going to be chasing that and. Sean's experiments and writings prove that it's actually just the other way around. Well, if you take that a step further, really, sometimes we think life, we look at pain, we look at happiness, Mm -hmm. and life really is not pain and just happiness or vice versa, because one doesn't replace the other. They exist together, and happiness doesn't arrive as a replacement. I think happiness arrives as a way to assist us in carrying the weight of the pain that comes with life, the bad parts of it. It's like, uh, how can you experience one without knowing the other? Exactly. You know, know, Sean Aker, the guy I mentioned earlier, he went to Harvard and he explained, he's got a lot of stories in the book about his Harvard experience, but he said four out of five students report depression. And you would think that if I'm an 18-year-old that's been accepted into Harvard, how could life be any better? Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things he points at is that... At your school, you were the number one out of a thousand or five hundred or whatever. Here, there can't be that many number ones. There's only going to be one number one. And as kids start to realize that, you know, they've put so much value and maybe been looked at as such the smartest one in the room that now they realize they can't live up to that. So it causes many of them to be very depressed. That would be disheartening. I never, I never thought of that. Of course, I was never number one in my <laughs> class either, so I can't relate. <laughs> I've heard others say, and I kind of relate to this, I was in the, the half of the class that made the top half possible. So. That's good. I like that. That's, that's a way uh, to, to do it. There's another part in the book that I recall. He's talking about lawyers as a profession are three times the depression rate of society. And he goes on to say, that accountants, tax auditors, because all these jobs are looking for flaws. So like a lawyer's oh. looking for a mistake that someone made, you know, to bring up in court, a tax auditor's looking for mistakes. So when your mindset's wired that way, it's not that you have to go through life negative, but you're wired for that. So that's one of the things you have to be really careful of. If your job is something that requires you to look for the negatives of whatever, that it can have a ripple effect into the rest of your life. 
You are listening to the Eight Facets of Life podcast. Stay tuned for more after this message from our sponsor. With all the headlines, are you wondering if your retirement savings will last? The market's ups and downs can keep you guessing, especially if you're approaching retirement or considering it. Your Edward Jones advisor, Daryl Olson, can help. If you have more questions than answers about what's next, you can work together to help ensure you're prepared for your journey. After all, retirement isn't the end of the trek, it's a new beginning. Stop by the office at 125 South Main Street in Bell Fountain. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Now, back to the Eight Facets of Life podcast with Chris Conley and Debbie Ellis. Well, earlier we were just talking in the studio about the movie Unbroken. Right. And the book, Don't Give Up, Don't Give In. And it was written by the gentleman, Louis Zamberini. And he, as anyone would know from the movie, he's a very courageous hero. I would put him at the epitome of someone that withstood such pain and anguish to help the other people in his platoon would it right. be a platoon but anyway in it he's a very spiritual man and talked about a spiritual rebirth and he highlighted this message and he said people tell me that i'm such an optimist and then am i really an optimist and he had to define that an optimist says the glass is half full a pessimist says the glass is half empty like we mentioned before mm-hmm. a survivalist which i would put him in sure that category is practical. He says, call it what you want, but just fill the glass. And I think that's true. We we can tag somebody an optimist or a pessimist, but most importantly, fill the glass, make life full, make life fun, and take advantage of every single day the Lord's given us. Sure. Another thing I recall is our relationships with others matter more than anything else. That's the number one thing that we can do to improve our lives. I talked about the health aspect. Yes. If you have someone that you can rely on, someone that you can talk to. Now, at the same time, as we talked about in relationships, we don't want that to be the negative Nelly type person right. either. Right. But um, our relationships are important. You know, I've heard so many stories, the power of the mind. There was a study done. They called it turn back the clock. And this lady that ran the experiment got 20 guys together that were 75 years old and this happened in the 70s. So she took them back to 20 years prior. They were, would have all been 55 years old. And for one week, they dressed like they did in 1955. They made up ID badges so that they looked like they did in 1955. They had 1955 books like Life and Look and those kind of things. Dwight Eisenhower was a president. They could only talk about political things that were going on. So everything they did had to pretend like it was 1955. And... After they did all a bunch of tests prior, and then they redid those tests afterwards, these men's eyesight improved 10% in a week. Oh, my. Their memory improved. Everything that they tested on improved. Their intelligence improved. And it was all done based off this. And and when I think about the power of the mind, you know, I I remember hearing about a guy that froze to death in a refrigerated boxcar that wasn't turned on. But in his mind, he thought it was. So we can do a lot of things with our mind, you know, and that that reminds me of the Proverbs verse, stand guard at the gate of your mind. We really have to be careful, you know, what comes in. Wow, that's like a time changer, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there was another study they did that they asked people, are you lucky or unlucky? And for the people that said they were lucky, they gave them a newspaper to read and they said, just count the pictures. Hmm. And for the people that were unlucky... They give them the same newspaper, count the pictures. They said the lucky people got done in a matter of seconds where the unlucky people took over two minutes. 
And the funny thing about this story, this study, was that on page two, there was, in great big bold letters, said, quit counting, there's 43 photos. Oh my, I've heard and, of And so the like lucky that. people saw that yes. and quit. Yes. Whereas the unlucky people went right over it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, how do we perceive ourselves and he gets all the breaks? Again, that pessimist, optimist right. kind of outlook in life. Right. And I think along with that is hope. I think hmm. hope is so important. And I read once where it said, you can live 40 days without food, mm-hmm. eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. Yeah. And I, I can't say where the quote came from, but I, it's probably fairly accurate. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. The thing is, too, whether we think we are that negative person, we can still do things to improve our outlook on life. The easiest thing I could think of to do would be just practice gratitude. Gratitude right. is the most healthy emotion that we could have. And the fact of the matter is we all have things to be grateful for. We might not realize it or might not be taking advantage of it, but there are things there, whether it's social networks, whether it's food at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. There's just a many, many, many things that we take for granted. Actually, I think if you look at most people in the United States, it's really almost an embarrassment of riches. Our life is very, very good. There, there are challenges, lots of challenges, but basically we're living in a great country. Sure. It's amazing what America offers us. Yeah. And, you know, the free speech, you know, I mean, the True. fact that so many people can't say what's on their mind. And, you know, I've heard before, we can be, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. I just listened to a sermon this morning. A guy was talking about that same point, you know, his particular church believes in total immersion. And he said, but I still have friends that practice sprinkles. So he said, it doesn't make us different. You know, it does in that regard, but that's, we still serve the same God. Exactly. The other thing, we can do things for other people. That's going to make us, again, more of optimistic. Uh, Another uh, interesting thing is to look at our accomplishments versus what's left to do. Sometimes we've got that hill to climb and we get three quarters of the way up and we're we're depressed. I heard that uh, marathon runners, the number one mile that they quit is the 20th mile. That's interesting. Because they're at the point where they've exerted all this energy and they can't see the finish line. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'd think more towards the end, the 26 mile, but by then, even if they can't physically see the end of the race, they know it's near, you know, right. so they can push on that in that manner. And I can relate to that. When I was 61 years old, I ran my first marathon, probably might be my last. It was so funny. Here's This is the optimistic side of me. I kind of cross-trained for it. I Maybe the most I ran was 18 miles and a marathon is 26 miles. So there was a little bit of disparity. I didn't finish, but um, practicing correctly. But as I was running the first 18, I thought, oh man, this is good. This is no problem. I'm going to write an article in a seat (laughs) in like ARP, a senior magazine and say how an old person can run a marathon without really training hard. And at mile 18, I felt good. At mile 21, all of a sudden my legs started walking and my brain saying, come on, legs, move. And my body saying, make me. (laughs) And it wouldn't happen. And so I bet I walked a mile. I was fortunate. I finished. I wasn't hurt. Nothing impacted me. But the first 18 miles, I was really optimistic that this is a piece of cake. But then the body took over and and they say you hit a wall. And I hit that wall. I know exactly what you're talking about. Sure. A lot of people think that our success is based off of our grades, you know, or our GPA or right, our, our IQ. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And I recall there was a study that done by MetLife that they took a look at the people that were their best salespeople. And what they found, to make a long story short, was that the optimism made more of a impact than anything else. The people that, that graded out the most optimistic had 60% more sales than other people. Definitely. So, and Sean in that book was talking about your IQ basically represents about 25% of your success factor. And so mm, many companies really hire on that trade alone. And so this MetLife study, they're taking their hirings to a much deeper study and trying to understand how is this person wired. Yes, yes, that makes sense. If a person is considered not optimistic, some other things, I talked about the journal, just getting proper sleep, that wires a lot of people in the wrong way if they don't sleep enough. Nutrition plays a big factor. I know he just last night I was eating some popcorn that had some chocolate on it. You know, I got from Shirley's there in Oh, Bluffton. that sounds good. <laughs> and, and it was Bluffton, good, yeah. but about an hour or two later, I just didn't feel good. And I think our body craves what's right, and we mistake that sometimes for anything. And so nutrition does play a big part. Activity of any kind, and, and especially exercise. I know I exercise a lot, and it might not show it. We talked about our eating patterns the other day. Right. But uh, it still comes down to exercise can get us going on our mind, you know, the, the blood the flow. endorphins. Right. Right. The blood flow, the dopamine, the serotonin, mm-hmm. and all those kind of things kick in. So if a person's having trouble, those would be some things that I would suggest that they, exactly. they try. And just being around positive people, like sure. you said, I think that is so important. One last study I'll share. In New York City, their crime was high, you know, like we think of it as always being. And the mayor at that time, I don't recall who it was, but they made the proposal that we're going to clean up the subway graffiti, fix the broken windows and things like that. And everyone said, that's not going to have an impact. And he said, well, we're going to do it anyway, because we're going to do what we can do. And sure enough, they cleaned up one train, they cleaned up a second, they cleaned up a third, had to go back and re-clean up the first one again. But as that was the focus, they saw crime rate drop over 50% and violent crime as well. That's and, significant. Yeah. And, you know, we think that that what impact could that have? But a lot of times I think, you know, I've heard of areas of people that are addicted to drugs. If they just see needles laying on the ground and that's their environment, it's like the hope factor you were talking about earlier. So mm-hmm. sometimes our environment can have a big impact on the way we see hope for the future. And, you know, do we experience the fun or joy in our life? Absolutely. And as we close up this section, this facet, we'll move on to the next F, which is faith. And that all comes into being the hope. It goes right along with faith. So hopefully everybody will listen to our next session on faith. Thanks for listening to the 8 Facets of Life podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you heard today, please visit our website at the number 8facetsoflife.com. The Shine FM Podcast Network.